Welcome to Traditionally Talking, the podcast of the Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations. I'm your host, journalist Charles Parkiner, and in this podcast, we yarn with traditional owners from across the state about some of the amazing work being undertaken to care for and connect with country, build stronger culture and communities, and much more. The Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations acknowledges all traditional owners across the land now known as Victoria. We pay respect to their connection to land, waters, culture and law, and to Elders past, present and those who will lead in years to come. Joining me today from University of Melbourne is Dr. Michelle Evans, a specialist in Indigenous leadership and entrepreneurship. Michelle, thanks for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me along. Michelle, we're going to be talking today about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander or First Nations procurement plans and policies. Now, these can be put in place by local governments, by organisations, by really anyone that has a procurement policy in place. So, thumbnail dipped in tar, sketch (laughs) me out what is a procurement policy and then how does a First Nations procurement policy component figure into these? It's a great question, Charles, and really what we need to do is to think about procurement as a set of standards or practices that an organisation sets in stone for the way in which they want to purchase goods and services. So they might wish to have a process to do that, and that will be what will be bound up in their procurement policy. And that would really require an organisation to be a little bit mature because having a procurement policy really is about setting yourself a standard, having some consistency to the way that you Mm. go about doing this and efficiency over time to sourcing your goods and services. So I think it's really important for organisations, corporates, um, departments to have a procurement policy And once you've kind of got that in place and you're able to see how the decisions you're making through your procurement policy, that you're following a certain guideline, you might have guidelines about how you want to receive proposals from different players who wish to supply you services or goods, or you might want to have your RFQ process out on the internet so people really know in a very detailed way what you're looking for. Then it is about how you identify the suppliers that you want to work with. This is where having an Indigenous procurement policy as a part of your policy suite is really important because you're able to think about your spending categories and also the type of suppliers you want to work with, the type of suppliers you need. And in that consideration set, you need to think about things like really preferring whether it be First Nations businesses or women businesses or LGBTIQA plus businesses and why. And why would you do that? Because it's aligned to your firm strategy and what you're trying to do to your vision of your firm. And it is about how you create value in your firm. 
So a lot of the time Indigenous businesses are bought into commercial arrangements with government or corporations. It's not just that commercial contract in one sense. There's something quite more going on in that relationship. They're providing a greater sense of value. It's a contribution to the firm's value proposition, which might include that we seek to make a big difference in you know, having Indigenous employees and a part of that is we wish to procure services with Indigenous businesses who also share our vision around supporting more and more Indigenous employment and we're able to have that conversation. I think well, this is let interesting. Let me ask you this though because one of the things that I have seen in the past with certain organisations and local governments, albeit this is a number of years ago, that have tried to implement these First Nations procurement policies is they look for the low-hanging fruit, like, okay, well, what organisations or what sort of organisations can we bring in? Well, let's look at art. Let's look at some cultural training. And they've ticked the box with those two very easy things. They haven't looked at consultancy firms. Those are other more white-collar organisations that can provide services to those organisations. Have you seen evidence of this and have you seen evidence of it changing? Yeah, and it is it is about that behaviour of change by corporates or government, um, local government, as you were saying there. And I think um, that's by stating that you have an Indigenous procurement policy is one thing, but you've got to enact it. And a part of that is really, how can I go about doing this? Will I have a target, which is just have five relationships with Indigenous businesses? And that could be any type of business. You see how mm. how easy that goal might therefore be able to be um, ticked off. Whereas some of the um, more experienced and better um, shaped Indigenous procurement policies are very much looking at percentage spend. Um, having a target on that addressable spend and I can talk a little bit more about it but I think the biggest thing about having an established commercial relationship with Indigenous businesses for non-Indigenous corporations or organisations or government is that they need to um, think about the sort of approach that they're going to have in developing a relationship which is really a key part of the procurement landscape and that's not just about having awesome conversations with a load of people or meeting a stack of people and and building this up and being able to tick that off your reconciliation action plan but it's actually about establishing the need in your organisation through real understanding of your spending categories what part of your spend is addressable that isn't already under contract like you're leasing a place that's kind of not up for grabs there are parts of your budget that you can spend and what categories are they in and now it's time to really go out there and start to understand the breadth and diversity of the indigenous business sector and that's where you go to some of those intermediaries like Kinaway, the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce in Victoria or Supply Nation or industry capability network who have all of these business registries and you're able to have a look at all of the different types of businesses and where they are they're all over the country and that's the wonderful thing about the indigenous business sector is it's in every industry 
as you say, not just in arts or in cultural services, there are actually more construction firms in the in the sector than they are arts and cultural services, supposedly. Yeah. Now, there's also a legitimate degree of concern right across the country with black cladding, mm. and that is organisations that have seen that there's an opportunity to capitalise on these First Nations procurement policies in order to do that, to promote themselves as a First Nations or an Aboriginal organisation, they bring in a number of people to essentially clad the place with that sense of blackness. Is that a major problem that's currently in the go? Look, I think, you know, the way I've been thinking about it is that it's Black cladding is like a creature of the policy, of Indigenous procurement policies. Policies, like any policy, set out a, a playing field, a game, if you will, a set of instructions for how you might do that. And one of the ones which is around registering Indigenous businesses is it can just be 50% Aboriginal ownership, but it must be ownership and, and control. But in the registering process certainly um, with the supply nation and it's a little bit different at the Kinaway level because they've really decided to be quite specific on 51% upwards because they're trying to address this exact issue of black cladding but it is also you can't just phone out as a a non-indigenous organization wanting to do indigenous procurement you can't just phone out oh yeah they're on the indigenous business register they're fine You've also got to be, you know, savvy if you're meeting non-Indigenous owners and you've never met the Indigenous owner, what what questions might you have? Or you go to a a trade show and there's no Indigenous owners at the store, what does that tell you about it? Or if something comes up as you're working on on a uh, contract with a 50-50% joint venture, then how does it work? It is up to you to really drill into and understand for the procurement relationship you're setting up that that business is owned and controlled by Indigenous people. So what questions do people ask? Because let's be frank, there's so many people that are very timid when it comes to well, we're actually going to question you whether you really are Aboriginal-owned and operated. Mm. So what are the core questions and are there guidelines out there to help organisations deal with this very real problem? Yeah, look, I don't think there are guidelines out there and I think that's a really very good idea <laughs> to, to give people some, you know, starting questions. I mean, but you want to understand at least who the Aboriginal owner is and what their background is as it pertains to I don't know say you're you're getting in IT services so what Mm. sort of a history in IT or is the person what sort of role in managing the organization are they having so you feel like um, there's something here but on the other side of this conversation there is what what if you find a black cladded firm and you find you're in this relationship and what will you do? Who do you report such a thing to and, and what happens from there? And I think, again, you know, I know that uh, Kinaway and Supply Nation have been dealing with those sort of reported instances and following them up. And I think we should make those processes quite clear. But to be fair, I think that the Indigenous business sector, there are so many incredible 
owned Indigenous businesses out there for organisations and governments to be working with, that they should really focus really on, on that. And I think, you know, when people do start to think about the type of purchases that they can get from from Indigenous businesses, where we're talking about all of what's out there, goods and services-wise, but just so you know, in the Indigenous business sector, some of the top industries are construction, as I said before, and then professional services. They're just a little, one or two percent below construction, so there's so many different professional services, from IT to legal to architecture and of course consulting mm. and management services of course um there's healthcare is and social assistance and um admin support of course and education traffic, and traffic management's and a big traffic one. management yeah. i mean there's just so, yeah that rental and hiring and real estate area believe it or not is really? a big piece so we need to really revolutionize the way we think about indigenous business and and showcase the diversity of our sector so where do organizations start because the most difficult step is the first step so they tell us what's that first step for an organization that wants to go down this path look i think some of the templates uh, for establishing you know even if the organization has a reconciliation action plan can be quite helpful and why is that important in one sense it's because it's about looking at the environment of your own organisation, your own corporation first and taking attendance to the cultural safety and competency of your own firm as you start this journey and not expecting procuring a supplier to to sell you some goods and services as a a quick way to deal with what is quite an entrenched and long-term addressing of cultural competency in your own organisation. That's not what it's about, unless it's specific services to do that, clearly. And I think there's also a piece of starting to think about what your spend is, your spending categories, what you really want to look at, and get creative about that. And think about, you know, is there a firm that you might start to work with? Um, You might want to go to some trade shows or go and um, start meeting people, doing that sort of relationship building of procurement. But you might want to start with an organisation to a business to to work on one small piece and then building it up over time. And I think in that relationship, if especially if it's a long-term relationship, to create Indigenous suppliers as your suppliers of choice, you are committed and they are committed to achieving that together. And that transformative relationship, I think, is, is what can really change our business environment altogether. You've mentioned the Kinaway Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce in mm. Victoria and also Supply Nation a couple of times. Are they a legitimate first starting point for organisations to go and say, look, we don't know what we're doing, yeah. can you guide us? Yeah, definitely. I think they offer training, they offer opportunities to meet suppliers and also if you become associated with Indigenous Chambers of Commerce and Industry or Supply Nation or any other sort of Indigenous business hub, there are a few 
of these hubs now all around Australia. There's um, the Yarpa hub in Western Sydney and the Wallach hub in Perth and there's a new hub being set up in Darwin, one in South Australia. I mean, it's really exciting times and places you can go and meet suppliers but also they can meet you as a a real interested buyer right and there's as I said there's some training courses that uh, Supply Nation offers to new members which are the non-Indigenous members who want to have access Mm. behind the scenes access not just to the public publicly available register of Indigenous businesses but really to hearing about what's going on behind the scenes and contributing and holding yourself accountable by reporting and and having that conversation with other organisations about a commitment to building the Indigenous business sector. What's a realistic spend figure? If we look at a percentage, Mm. a lot of people say, well, Aboriginal people represent, you know, between 3 and 5% of the Australian population, therefore that's what we should be spending. Mm. Other organisations strive to achieve a 10 to even greater percentage of spending with First Nations business. Where's the starting point there? Yeah, and look, it is an individual decision. I mean, but if we look at, say, the Commonwealth Government, when they first put the Indigenous procurement policy into play, it was about starting a bit lower and they've built up to a 3% target for um, their public spend with Indigenous businesses and and corporations which I think was quite good in the fact that they were able to um, scaffold that um, Mm. one let's set this until this date and and then it's really public and people know how they're going to do it but the big thing that I think's the next kind of thing on the horizon Charles about this area is how do we evaluate these policies and how they're going And it shouldn't just be with financials or we've had, you know, X number of contracts or we've spent, you know, $1 million. Great. What type of services? uh, How many firms? Where about in the country? But also on the other side of it, what impact did that have on you as an organisation or a corporation? How is your behaviour changing in procurement? What are the other bits of value that we're missing out if we only focus on finance? And how, what have we learned in this Indigenous procurement relational transformation? I think those are the interesting questions to focus on. Dr Michelle Evans, thanks so much indeed for your time. My pleasure. <laughs>